0: Welcome to Spiniverse. How's it going? I'm Rabbi Josh, he, him pronouns, Goucher Hillel's director.
1: I'm Leah Sawyer, she, her pronouns, and I'm the former Hillel co-president. Hi, I'm Ryan. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm one of the current Hillel co-presidents.
0: Cool. So, guys, we last week we had a short session with just me and Leah. We did a little bit of studying about Sarah and some kind of would you say leah like repeats of sort of themes that had happened when we'd studied like the last time we were together yeah yeah Yeah. and we got into it and i think part of the thing that i was thinking i was like you know we really talked about trying to discover the lives of these women um and the torah if we're just reading the torah by itself it doesn't give us a lot and a lot of the traditional commentaries really don't give us a lot you know in terms of the voices of women because Let's face it, they were written by men. All of them, right? Like all the traditional commentaries. So where is where's a way to be able to discover women's voices? So um, I'm really excited to kind of share something today that I I learned about through a Hillel salon. It's a little group that I was in the past four weeks. We're reading a book called The New Jewish Canon, which uh, takes excerpts of essays, books, and things like that. that are kind of like new Jewish ideas that were published between like 1980 and 2015. And it's like kind of looking at it okay like you know we got the torah we've got all these traditional texts but so much change has happened in judaism in the last you know 35 years which 35 now i guess that's 40 42 years at this point which is pretty much my life (laughs) that's my my age so you know it was interesting really to be able to look back and we just finished the class and one of the things that we discovered was this thing called dear shuni which i'd never heard about before it came out like 13 years ago and it's a collection of um women's midrashim, women's like takes on the Torah portion in the form of traditional midrash, like in the form of like the same way, like Rashi would do a traditional commentary, but they're written by women, you know, really trying to come up with women's voices. So I thought that'd be kind of interesting today to, uh, to read some of those and hear what your takes are on them, because I think so oftentimes, like, you know, your critique is really valid. Like, where's, where's our voice in this, you know? So yeah, so any thoughts before we jump in, in, guys, about that idea? Anything that you've heard about women's commentaries that I should know? Because I'm I'm just trying to get a little bit more
2: well-read myself in this area. I have not, but
1: I'm excited.
2: Cool. Um, this is not to say this is the first women's co-
0: tour commentary, by the way. The URJ, I know, has, to, has a whole book, uh, women's tour commentary, um, and a lot of things. Really, really, just since the, kind of the second wave feminist revolution has been published in these last... Last number of years. So um, excited to get into this with you guys today. All right. So I'm going to share screen on our text. What we're going to do is read the traditional text of the Binding of Isaac, which has no Sarah in it. um, And see how these commentators put Sarah in it. And I want to hear what you guys think. Um, The Binding of Isaac in and of itself. Let's just say a deeply problematic text, even for traditional commentators. So. Uh, we will get into that. And I think we already kind of got into a little bit. of it. So, um, Ryan, you mind uh, starting out reading for us today? Um, we're still in Parshat Vayera. This is the end of the same Parsha that we were looking at last week, uh,
2: Leah and I. So, yep.
1: Sure. Sometime afterward, God put Abraham to the test, saying to him, Abraham, he answered, Here I am. Take your son, your favored one, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the heights that I will point out to you. So early next morning, Abraham saddled his ass and took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. He split the wood for the burnt offering and he set out for the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his servants, you stay here with the ass. The boy and I will go up there. We will worship and we will return to you. Abraham took his took uh, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on his son Isaac. He himself took the fire stone and the knife and the two walked off together. Then Isaac said to his father, "Abraham." Then father he and he answered, "Yes, my son." And he said, "Here are the fire stone and the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering?" And Abraham said, "It is God who will see to the sheep for this burnt offering, my son." Jesus. And the two of them walked on together. They arrived at the place of which God had told him. Abraham built an altar there. He laid out the wood. He bound his son Isaac. He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham put, picked up the knife to slay his son. Then a message of God called, called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. And he answered, here I am. Do not raise your hand against the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your favored one from me. When Abraham looked up, his eyes, his eye fell upon a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the site Adonai Yireh, Once the present saying on the Mount of Chai? Uh,
2: Adonai or God, there is
1: yeah. Vi- yeah, there is vision. Okay. I like how very casually God said this and Abraham just was like, well, here we go.
2: Yeah. Like, yeah. I
1: feel like this is kind of like I talked about last week with how stories are prevented. I don't know. I feel like when I was younger and told this story, it came with like Abraham being really conflicted about what to do. Abraham doesn't appear very conflicted. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think it's funny, not funny obviously. And then he just kind of like puts Isaac there, and there's no conversing. I mean, m- maybe there was, but well, it's not written about. But um, he's just kind of like, well, here you go, Isaac. Sorry, <laughs> um.
0: Right, the conversing comes right before when isaac asked that question you know i see this where's the sheep
1: right and then then he says like they build it and then he binds isaac
2: and isaac is just kind of like what
1: uh i agree i think it's super weird that abraham was super ready to give up his child just like with that question and i i'm going to ask a question that i feel is going to segue us into where we want to go with this Mm -hmm. What did Sarah say about this? How did well, she feel about her son? I am
0: so glad <laughs> you asked.
1: How did Sarah feel about her son she birthed in her old age about to be sacrificed? Especially after God was like, I'm going to give you a bunch of st- I'm going to make you prosper. And then she, Abraham was like, alright, I'll still sacrifice my firstborn. And Sarah doesn't get a say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's also interesting the phrasing how God is trying to make sure not that like the phrasing God isn't being like that you obey me or that you're loyal to me. It's God trying to make sure that Abraham fears him or fears God. I just think that word placement is interesting to look at because you could it could be phrased that you're loyal to God or that you put God first, but it's like they are phrasing it like what they want Abraham to do it because Abraham is afraid of what God would do if Abraham didn't listen to God.
0: Where's, where are you finding, I'm just going back up in the text, the um, word, the word. Fear. I,
2: no,
1: it was lower down.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, I know that you fear God. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now
1: I know that you fear God. Like that's, that's the purpose behind it is Abraham being a too afraid of what God would do to not follow the order, rather than proving loyalty or something like that.
0: Yeah, there's almost some wordplay in here, by the way, in the word yireh, which is to fear, and year, which is to see, um, which you see in the last verse. Mount of God, Mount of a God, there is vision. Yirah is the last word. Um, And there's this interesting interplay that's not clear between the words of fear and vision. And yeah, you're right. I mean, so I think there's there's obviously some some real deep problems here. Um, And why fear God versus obey God? And why doesn't Abraham question this command when we've already seen Abraham question God prior, right? When the people of Sodom were supposed to be destroyed, Abraham goes through a whole chapter of negotiations. What if these number of people, you know, why doesn't Abraham do that for his own son? this, this story takes on a huge significance in not only Judaism, but Christianity. It was interesting, Ryan, you had an aside where you said Jesus at some point. And I, there's a way in which, like, right, this, this story, uh, you know, does set the tone for the crucifixion. So, right, like, like, Abraham doesn't, Abraham stops short of sacrificing his son.
1: Yeah, but not because he chose to. Not because Abraham saw better.
0: No, you're right. You're right. You're right. It's not. It's not Abraham. It's not Abraham said. Oh, you know <laughs> what? I shouldn't do this. Right. Right. At the same, Abraham's ready to do it. And then what's the deal? You know, with all that. There's there's so many poems and everything written about it. I think that particularly this text also was a. It was a text that particularly medieval Jews who were going through martyrdom and persecution during the Crusades looked to to try and make sense of the horrible things that were happening to them they thought that in some way that they were being like isaac you know slaughtered for the sake of uh, you know their their piety and um which is really it is messed up but it's also like okay well that's that's the only thing they could look to to try and make sense of a really horrible trauma that was happening to them Abraham
1: Um, is just like i'm sorry (laughs) ryan i don't is does not get a good rep from uh, all his actions that we've read about because oh. he like
2: yeah.
1: sells out his wife for like wealth um and then he like banishes his other child and now he almost kills his additional child yeah like I'm <laughs> the first jew was not setting a very good example just say it. Abraham did not want to be a father and God just made him. Well, because Abraham wanted to like carry continue the Jewish like line. I don't think Abraham wanted to like play football with his son in the backyard.
0: Well, that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, it does seem like there is some loving relationship between them, but it's clearly strained, you know, and hear it. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I, I mean, look, there's a part of me that wants to. Rescue Abraham, you know, like his reputation in a certain sense. But I also think we've got to wrestle with these texts that are really, really difficult mm-hmm. and challenging and know that it doesn't challenge our Jewish identity to say, wow, this story that's really, you know, foundational, he's also deeply problematic, you know, and it doesn't mean, you know, simply because this is our forefather and here's his story doesn't mean that we're supposed to emulate
2: all of his actions.
1: Right. Um, and it's like you're not supposed to worship like people, people in Judaism.
0: That's right. At the same time, look, we do say in the prayers okay. that we have, we say Elohe Avraham, right? We we ask the God of Abraham to you know be there for us, okay. um, and so not you know, Abraham, not Abraham, right? But we do put this. Probably but but to hey, but still, hey, look, it wasn't Abraham's idea; it was God's idea. So there's some blame for God here too. Let's not leave God off the hook yeah. um, <laughs> simply because I mean, it's God, God
1: actually thought he'd do it, though.
0: All right, so you segued us very, very nicely, Ryan. I'm coming back to your segue, and um, so this is Naama Eldar. These are written originally in Hebrew and translated to English. These uh, women's um, midrashim, Um, and this the gray box here that I'll ask Leah to read is kind of the um, context for what we're about for the actual like text that we're about to get into, and then there's commentary on it after that explains a little bit of it. So go ahead, Leah.
1: Sarah's trial. And it came to pass after these matters, God tested Abraham. The story of the binding of Isaac begins with these words. But can you move your cursor? Oh, I'm so sorry. The story of the binding of Isaac begins with these words, that the sages asserted that Abraham was tested with 10 trials, all of which he passed. The sages were trying to understand why Abraham was chosen to be the forefathers of the Jewish nation and to portray him as a paragon of virtue for future generations
0: given that we did, all the stories that we just read don't seem to do so, right? So the, the, the sages are trying to rescue Abraham's rep too. So yeah, go ahead.
1: In her midrash about Sarah's trials, Naama Eldar presents 10 parallel trials that Sarah withstood. Eldar seeks to correct the imbalance in those stories in the book of Genesis that place Abraham front and center. She relays various stories from Sarah's perspective, thereby offering new moral, existential, and theological perspectives unfamiliar tales in so doing she expands and enriches the significance of what it means to be success to successfully endure divine trial and she presents sarah too as a paragon of virtue one who is worthy in her own right of becoming the foremother of the jewish nation
0: all right and you, you want to continue with the text so this is the
2: sure.
1: 10 times was abraham our father put to the test and he withstood them all this tells how great was the love of our father, Abraham. Ten times was Sarah, our mother, put to the test, and she withstood them all. This tells how strong she was, how great her- was her hope. Then that she was barren and without, ch- without a child, that she was taken from her birthplace and father's home to an unknown land, that she was asked to lie on Abraham's behalf on coming to Egypt and being taken to Pharaoh's home, where there was done to her what was done to her. That her Egyptian maidservant bore a child for Abraham, her man, and her maidservant made light of her. And her man said to her, Do with her as you see fit. That she heard from the opening of the tent the news of Isaac's birth, that she waited many years for Abraham, her husband, to return from his journeys and wars, that she was asked to lie on Abraham's behalf of coming to Gerar and being taken to.
2: Uh, <laughs>
1: to Avi Mikhail's home, where there was done to her what was done to her, that her son was taken from her to be sacrificed on the altar.
2: Okay.
0: All right. So that's that. That's the text, uh, the new Midrash. Um and then here's some explanation of it we can we can read this if you want or we can not but it explains a little bit of what she's what she's saying with each of these trials i think we've gone through actually a lot of this in the text that we've read over the past couple of weeks right this is reminiscent of a lot of the stories that we that we heard um so do you want to read this you you want to comment your own comments um,
1: brian do you have anything to say i guess i would just go right into commenting like yeah,
2: yeah okay go ahead Who's reading it? Me. Um. Ryan, you want to go? Sure.
1: Sure. Good. Um, I I just meant that we could like talk about it. We didn't need to oh, read the gotcha. commentary. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so <laughs> I can do some editing here. So yeah, so Ryan, do you have comments that you think about these these ten trials? And Leah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: I think it's interesting to hear the story from a woman's perspective and I also still try to remain wary as and I say this as I don't know anything about the author of this piece. I often struggle to reconcile the idea of modern modernity and bi- biblicalness in the sense that this is a woman, writing about a biblical text and there's something that feels very modern about it and i enjoy that but i'm also i've also been taught to be maybe wary of that in the sense that like how do we i guess like pair i can't think of a better word how do we like allow biblical teachings into like a modern lifestyle. And this is almost all like a reversal of that, like a modern woman writing about a very biblical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, So I really enjoy reading it. And I think it's so interesting. And I love that we're hearing a woman's perspective. Um, I just think it's very interesting that it's a modern woman. Mm-hmm. I believe. I don't know if she is actually modern.
0: Yeah, no, it's, no elder, she's still living now in Israel. Yeah. So I don't know, like her own you know, like religious orientation. I don't know much about her, you're right. Yeah, But she's using the language, the language she's using is very much the same type of language you see in like the Mishnah or, or the Midrash um, in order to, and it's like very terse, you know, like little brief things that assume certain knowledge of the rest of the text um, that you've got to kind of have in order to kind of get what she's saying in a certain way. But I think we've got it here. Um, Yeah, no, and maybe if I can sort of, I guess what you're saying too is it's like, is it a little discordant in the sense of like, um, putting a modern um, viewpoint into this, you know, early my even if we're talking about early rabbinic texts, which you know a lot of the traditional midrash was written in like the first couple centuries of the common era, um, that like kind of like who are we and you know to to add our voice to that in you know 2022. Or 2009 actually this was written um not
1: really what i was going okay, for so,
0: yeah so tell me what you mean then i'm sorry if i misunderstood you or miss yeah please. no
1: it's okay thanks for asking me for clarification i was more just oh uh, you said something and i was like oh my god that's kind of my thing with this mm. the language of mishnah is i think very much the language of men mm. it was traditionally written by men and like it or not you know what i've learned through a lot of my classes is even unintentionally we leave a lot of ourselves in writing even if it is what we think of a of as a translation like there are some parts of it that might nest that might be open to an interpretation or contextual evidence um so it's almost interesting to me and i don't know how i feel about it that a woman adding her voice still has to almost write like a man Mm. Um, I think, as much as I love to hear this and I am so interested in it, it's very telling and interesting that in order for maybe any of this to be accepted, it has to sound like a man wrote it, or it has to be, similar to what was already written, which is, unless I'm mistaken, you know written by men.
2: You have a really good point. Yeah, no, it's a very valid critique. Absolutely, Leah. Your thoughts? All right. Um,
1: I don't know. I think it's tricky because, like, yes, you could say she's act. We don't know what a biblical voice in the voice of a woman would sound like. So I don't know. It's
2: tricky, right? It's like. You wonder how closely, if
1: you want it, like it's nice to see like a voice and someone looking at another side of the story that isn't looked at, but at the same time, it's not like wow, representation because it's just something done because of a lack of representation. And like eight gazillion years ago, no one was writing Sarah's perspective in the Torah, obviously. Um, but I think it's tricky because we don't know from outside of what we see what kind of, well, except for when she tells Abraham to kick out the other child and the other woman. Um, we don't know anything about her character. So we can speak really negatively about Abraham's character because of all the actions we see from him. Whereas if you're just gonna create Sarah's character, you can put her in a much more positive light um, in a way that you don't get the grace from, from a character who's written about in the Torah doing negative things and so it makes it easier to kind of make Sarah this amazing character when in reality we don't know how it would have naturally been written because it's being written from a modern woman perspective where they're being like this was Sarah this is when she went through she earned this like beautiful um being the matriarch of Judaism yada yada um and like wanting to add empowering female Jewish biblical role models by fleshing out Sarah and adding her to situations that she wasn't present in in the Torah. But it almost feels a little unbalanced because we don't know. Maybe in the Torah, she also was making some bad choices. Hmm. Um, but she only gets written about, in this case, in a more interpretive light, which can make the situation more positive on her in a way that isn't done for people that are spoken more of in the in the torah so it's not sarah and the torah that people look up to it's this recreation of sarah or idea sarah that people have created for what ideally she would be because we don't know we know that abraham made a lot of poor choices
2: yeah and yet
0: the rabbis actually had to create him as a hero in spite of that and had to spin some of those choices to be heroic, right. you know, even though we can critique them as being quite
2: unheroic, let's just say, in some cases, you know, downright, um, well, bad. I don't know, bad, problematic, <laughs> no I wonder one. what you would say. Yeah, here. maybe, I don't know, you know, um,
0: yeah, no, I, that's a really, I, I really appreciate what each of you guys are offering in this. Um, Do you have any, just a further question on this one, and then there's a second one I want to look at, too, before we go. Um, Anything about the content here? Does Like, the way that they talk about any of these things as trials, does it, do you understand them differently, you know, in having looked back at them and seeing Sarah as taking an active role
2: in those moments when we didn't hear her voice? I mean, I think when...
1: And her man said to her, do with her what you see. How is that a trial? She made like, like from what we talked about um, last time, Josh, what, was it last time when Sarah had Abraham get rid of, um, what was the one's name? Hadar?
0: Hagar. Yeah. Twice, twice actually. Twice. Son?
1: Twice. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm confused whether like it's a trial and she had to tell him what to do. And she didn't make a good choice. Mm -hmm. like i don't see how it morally seems like a good choice and i don't see why god would see it as a trial that she made a good choice in
0: yeah i think what there because there's only a brief sentence on this says sarah's sixth trial was when abraham charged her with the responsibility to decide how to respond to Agar's hurtful treatment So
1: she could have like murdered them i guess but Uh,
0: yeah right yeah no i get good point yeah um okay i'm good to go on to the next one if you guys are um, so this, ne- this next one deals with Sarah and the sacrifice of Isaac and tries to, in a similar way, you have probably the, all the same things that you just said, uh, apply here too, you know. So uh, taking all that into account, um, I'll read the gray box and then maybe pass over to Leah, are you up next, um, to read this, this piece. So the story of the binding of Isaac is a foundational tale in Jewish tradition. Commentators in every generation have tried to address the profound questions the story raises. What does God ask of us as believers? how can we understand Abraham's readiness to sacrifice his son? Rivka Lubich's Mitrash fills in a gap in the biblical story. She describes what happened to Sarah throughout this incident and furnishes her with a significant role in the proceedings. Lubich proposes that Sarah was the first one confronted with this trial, and she refused to obey the divine command. When she discovered that Abraham was on his way to sacrifice Isaac, she entreated God in prayer, asking mercy for her husband, who, as she saw it, acted inappropriately. It was thanks to her prayer that tragedy was averted and Isaac was spared. This Midrash presents an unorthodox theological stance. Uh, that's small you unorthodox, not necessarily not orthodox, but regarding the place of sacrifice in Jewish life. Lubitsch proposes an alternative model for the relationship between humans and God, one based on the experience of parenting. And as she sees it, the responsibility for one's children is the ultimate value, and it cannot be contradicted by any divine command. All right, so let's get into it, Leah.
1: And it came to pass after those matters. Those matters, the matters with Sarah. And God tested Sarah. And the angel said to her, Take your son, your only one, whom you have loved, Isaac, and take him to the land of Moriah and offer him up. And Sarah said, No, because a mother does not slaughter her child. And early in the morning, Sarah awoke, stunned to see that neither Isaac nor Abraham was there. She lifted her arms to God in heaven and said, Master of the universe, I know that one who slaughters his son in the name of God will in the end be left without a son or God. Oh, damn. Forgive Abraham who was mistaken about this. Please remember that it did not occur to a mother to offer her son up to God and save the boy from him. At that moment, Abraham stretched out his hand to the knife to slay his son, and the angel of God called out to him and said, Do not lay your hand on the boy and do nothing to him. For now I know that you are God-fearing. Even though you did not withhold your son, and this is why it was said Whatever Sarah tells you, heed her voice, which is later said in Genesis twenty one twelve. And earlier,
0: earlier actually, the
2: chapter before uh, where Hagar says
1: chapter yeah. before. God mm-hmm. so says whatever Sarah tells you, heed her voice, and as a result, for is Isaac, your seed will have a name from the same thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah That's a traditional idea. Ain, ain, uh, mukdashu, what is it there's no early and late in the torah um meaning that like ultimately the, the rabbis sometimes believe that something that happened in a previous chapter even though it's contextually out of place can have something to do to say about this chapter so that's one of the, the you know, ideas that she's using here, hermeneutic if you want to use the fancy word um okay what do you think about this story guys or this version my, of the story
1: well harsh tone from what i know about how god tends to treat women. I think this is not very likely, as I think God would probably not go to a woman first. Just a thought. It's a nice story. I will offer a different perspective, maybe, in the sense that I, I feel as though we know what God would do because we know what a man would do like the idea of God in a lot of religion and even Judaism is like in, in all the language you use, it is like praise be to he. Um, And I think it's, I think because the Torah and subsequently all of the teachings and stories that come out of it, I think are written by men. We don't have, we we don't know if I guess we just don't know if this is true. It doesn't sound true based on what we know, because what we know is what is written by men. Um, So I agree in that this probably didn't happen, but I like to think that it did, and I can see it making sense, and I will also still be wary of um, Sarah's character, because I'm going to sound maybe like a horrible person. The fact that she stood up for her son is not remarkable. That is what a mother is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. That does not make her holy. That does not make her outstanding. That does not make her some shining paragon of a woman. because if what is said about her is true in other texts that she kicked a woman out of her home, she had like she made all of these choices. like, I I, f- I am very cautious to applaud her for doing what I think any mother should do which is like why the hell do you think I would sacrifice my son like like yeah I don't know I that's how I feel like she like as much as motherhood is amazing and I have a lot of respect for mothers I love my mother she's a phenomenal woman it's it's something to be celebrated, but not to this extent.
2: Hmm.
1: Not to like, oh my god, she said no! Like, she's a mom. She's supposed to make sure her children are okay. Yeah. Sarah's not exceptionally great. Abraham is just exceptionally bad. Yeah. father. <laughs> yeah. Sarah's, I believe, I'm gonna be harsh here and say, say Sarah's mediocrity looks beautiful because what Abraham does sucks. Also, I think in this story it also kind of makes an effort to make God look better. Because it takes away God full on telling Abraham to kill his son.
0: Right, absolves God of the... Telling
1: him to do it, and God not actually wanting Abraham to do it is the test. Yeah. Um, Whereas in the Torah, it's like what the heck, God. Here it's like, oh, God wasn't actually doing that, so it's trying to make Sarah look better, and it's trying to make God look better. And I think it's tricky in Judaism when you look back at the old stories and texts, because, like, you view God one way in your own life, and then you read the stories, and the God that you see in the stories does not represent your own (laughs) version of God, and a lot of how God is talked about more generally in Judaism. And so you want to make sense of how the God represented the stories could be the same presence of God you feel in your own life because it doesn't always match up.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to read something. You guys, this is a perfect segue into um, a text by Judith Plaskow. Judith Plaskow wrote a very, like, you know, seminal work in, in Jewish feminism called Standing Again at Sinai, Judaism from a, from a Feminist Perspective. I'm just going to read two paragraphs here that I think directly touch on what you're just saying and want to hear your take on it. Women are Jews, but we do not define Jewishness. We live, work, and struggle, but our experiences are not recorded. And what is recorded formulates our experience in male terms. The central Jewish categories of Torah, Israel, and God are all constructed from male perspectives. Torah is revelation as man perceived it. The story of Israel is the male collectivity, the children of Jacob who had a daughter, but whose sons became the 12 tribes. God is named in the male image, a father and a warrior, much like his male offspring, who confirms and sanctifies the silence of his daughters. Exploring these categories, we explore the parameters of women's silence. Clearly, the implications of Jewish feminism reach beyond the goal of equality to transform the bases of Jewish life. Feminism demands a new understanding of Torah, Israel, and God. Here's the key phrase. Only the deliberate recovery of women's hidden voices, the unearthing and invention of women's Torah, can give us teachings that are the produce of the whole Jewish people and that more reflect more fully its experiences of God. Your thoughts?
1: I think it's very valid. I think it's tricky because the voices of the men in Judaism are going to look outdated in comparison to the ones of women because the ones of men are all written within a context of like long 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 ago when norms were different and so i feel like women are gonna like look better because they were women written by modern women in ancient times rather than by ancient people um who wrote people in maybe in a great light but in in ancient great light, which is very different from if someone was trying to write them in a good light now.
2: Okay. Brian?
1: I agree, and I'll add, um, and I I believe Leah said this, so maybe I'm just restating. Um, Just because we uncover the words of women in Torah, which I think we should, I, I also think we have a duty to take that as what it is and not glorify it just because women have historically been underrepresented in Judaism. Like, I think this happens with a lot of groups and I, I see it a lot in that because we have been so underrepresented, we often see something that represent, that is supposed to represent us and we just take it. When, like in reality we should look at it we should be able to look at it critically and be like Mm. is this truly the representation we want or is this truly the representation we need so in the context of this uh piece about sarah and her trials and just being a mother like i'm happy we heard that we still have to be okay being critical about that and being like okay we uncovered her voice and her voice sucks Mm. i think I think if you only go in with the with the ideation and the goal of just uncovering the voice, whatever that voice may be, I think that is a much more worthy goal than just being like, I want to uncover all the good women voices or I'm going to spin every the voice of every woman I hear in a good light because they're underrepresented. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. No, I hear what you're saying. Um, I would recommend, I would say, as I think about um, – Contemporary women's commentaries that are not trying to use the male language of the midrash, which I find fascinating, but I also see all of your critiques and 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 hear them, and I think that that's there's, there's, therein lies the limitation. Um, I am a huge fan of. Um, oh my gosh, I'm going to try and remember all the people that I was that I was going to mention right now. Um, but you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put I'm going to put links in the in the episode description of a couple different women's Torah commentaries that I think. Are great uh, to read um, because I think there are a lot of different ways to do it, um, and I think you're right, Ryan. Simply just because you're discovering or uncovering a woman's voice doesn't mean you should lose your critical lens. Um, and um, and I also appreciate what you're saying too—that in order to validate the voices of women, we don't have to make them all saints, right? Like we ha- we have to look at. The whole humanity of women, just as we do, the whole humanity of men, if we're being honest and authentic about our tradition. I think am I saying sort of where you were going with this?
1: Yeah, and obviously, and this is a longer discussion. That's a very binary perspective, but I can only speak from a binary perspective as I am. I've always identified as a woman, so I think it's like a really interesting conversation to have. But I also do want to acknowledge that it's a very binary conversation right now, and I don't necessarily think it should be
0: yeah and that's a, that's a, you know that's a further challenge which is where are the voices of folks who
2: are not masculine or feminine or contain that aspects of both or don't believe in the binary system as it is absolutely
0: appreciate that thank you guys this was a really good discussion today i really really appreciate everything you had to say and offer and that was spiniverse and i think next time we may get into rebecca um let me know if there's any text or commentaries you want to include. Adios. Spiniverse is a production of Goucher Hillel. If you'd like to look at the text that we've been studying today, take a look at the link in our episode description. Have a wonderful week.